When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for Group 5 football. Uh, Joe Londrigan and Eric Henry here with you as always, and we are joined by Mr. Evan Dudley of AL.com once again, uh, a repeat offender, if you will, but it, that's because we have uh, some big news to dive into coming out of Conference uh, USA. Uh, head coach of the UAB Blazers, Bill Clark, announced on Twitter uh, this past Friday that he will retire from his position at uh, August 1st. Uh, so we'll absolutely dive into that as well as some other questions about uh, CUSA and the Blazer football program. But, you know, gentlemen, how are we doing today? You know, Evan, we'll start with you since you're the guest of honor today. Uh, doing great. Always a pleasure to be with you guys. Awesome. I know it's a pleasure to have us on uh, as well. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this in a second. It's nice to have someone who shares my musical taste because the last couple of guests we've had, Eric, it's been the opposite. They've been more of your side of the, the musical spectrum. Well, here's the thing that makes Evan a great guest, right? Is he he is, you know, has a very eclectic musical taste. So he's across the spectrum as opposed to our last few musical guests in, in which had you in, in a very um uncomfortable realm over there in, in your corner of the uh, <laughs> of the universe up there in the Pacific Northwest, Joe. I wouldn't say hang on. I wouldn't say uncomfortable. <laughs> I wouldn't use that verbiage. It was more just like, I'm just happy to be here. I don't know what this conversation's <laughs> about. But like, <laughs> like you guys were like, yeah, NBA young boy. And I was like, sure. My brain was just like the monkey clapping the symbols, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that that would be me when I attend my first Guar concert, Joe. With, uh, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Can't wait for that day. <laughs> All right. Well, let's with, without further ado, then let's let's dive into the big news. Uh, Evan, you know, obviously. Coach Clark uh, looks like he's stepping away from football. Um, sounds like the cause was uh, an issue with a, a, a kind of a, a spinal injury that went untreated for a long period of time. Any light that that you can shed there would be appreciated to start with. Uh, well, he uh, he had a Zoom conference that afternoon after announcing his retirement. Uh, he kind of filled us in on a few of those things. Uh, one being uh, the original in, uh, injury happened almost 40 years ago, 1983, when he was a high school student uh, playing under his dad uh, in Piedmont High School in Alabama. Uh, he he was squatting uh, and uh, he suffered the injury. It was a L4, L5 uh, uh, vertebrae. They started pinching onto a, a, a nerve. In uh, about, I think in 98, 99, or 97, right there in the late 90s, he had a disectomy uh, to, to sort of ease that up a little bit and help out. But uh, over the past you know few years, it's starting to come back and be a little bit worse. And it got to the point that a spinal fusion uh, surgery was necessary. Uh, there was nothing he could really do to put it off much longer. And instead of... Uh, you know, just trying to go for the surgery and see how he felt in a couple of weeks. Uh, the best uh, idea for him is just go ahead and, uh, you know, make a retirement, make sure you f- he fully cooperates first before, you know, 
maybe uh, taking another chance of uh, coaching or, you know, he could ride off into the sunset. I mean, he technically had 30 years in the Alabama education system as a coach, uh, you know, at different colleges as well as in the high school ranks. So he also had his uh, retirement benefits are also there to go. So, I mean, that probably had a little bit to do with it as well because he did have 30 years in the education system. But uh, it was probably just this back problem that he really needed to have solved, and it was to a point that he couldn't ignore it any longer. I mean, I I think I can speak for pretty much everybody when when I say health absolutely comes first. So don't fault him for making that decision at all. Did come to as sort of a surprise, though. And, um, you know, I got to ask, was there any inkling that something like this was coming down the pipeline as far as the UAB administration and the the team itself was concerned? Uh, Not at all. I think it was very much a surprise. Uh, That's why the tweet originally came out from Bill Clark's official Twitter account, because it was a uh, decision he had made very late. Uh, You know, it almost came at the 11th hour. He was kind of struggling with it up until that not before, but uh, went ahead and decided to make the decision to, uh, uh, you know, just to leave the program in, uh, you know, in good hands to where it, his, uh, you know, his surgery, his uh, recovery would not be a distraction for the program. Uh, you know, having built it what it is to now, to where it is, you know, a competitive power in Conference USA, ready to move to the American. I think because of its, uh, you know, uh, just the program being in good shape has also contributed to his decision, knowing that, you know, it would continue to uh, uh, progress, uh, you know, like he has done these past few years. He mentioned in that statement that you referenced that he wants to continue to be a part of the Birmingham community and the UAB community specifically. Obviously, as we're recording this, it's only been four or five days since he made that announcement. But um, any insight that he's shed or that anybody close to him has shed in terms of what's next for him? Uh, well, as far as you know, exactly what's next for him is the surgery and recovery. Uh, you know, the the, the best uh, uh, the best prognosis that he's gotten is, you know, a six month recovery time, but it could take longer than that. So, uh, you know, I think this is a decision that, you know, he, he didn't make lightly. He made it uh, very much in a, you know, uh, just to kind of, you know, step away, uh, make sure his health is right. But I, I also don't think that maybe he's done yet. I mean, he could try the broadcast booth like a lot of coaches do. But I think within a couple of years, he'll get that itch. If he hasn't already, he'll get that itch back to coaching because that's uh, essentially what he has been a part of. It's uh, it's, it's pretty much like you uh, hear Saban will say, you know, uh, you know, what am I going to do after I retire? I've been part of football my entire life. That is the same way with Bill Clark. Uh, you know, he grew up a coach's son, so he has been a part of that life, uh, you know, his entire life. Uh, he immediately went into coaching, has coached his entire career, spent one year outside of Alabama. So he's very much an Alabama guy. So I, I feel like he will remain, you know, this is his home. He'll be around the program. Uh, you know, just kind of be kind of a figurehead, uh, if if you will, because uh, you know with Bryant Benson uh, being named the interim head coach, you know he's going to have to do things the way he want he he wants to do the decisions he has to make. You know, not making the decisions that Bill Clark would, but decisions he would make. But as far as the actual program and the staff, you know, they will remain in place. A lot of it will still be Bill Clark's fingerprint. Uh, but it'll be more uh, Vince that's, you know, taking control and making the decisions, uh, you know, within this year while Bill kind of just kind of stands with the sideline and is, you know, like I said, that figurehead, that guys can still come and talk to him. Uh, you know, coaches can still rely on him, uh, you know, you know, chew his ear a little bit, maybe get some knowledge from him. So, I mean, it's it's something that, uh, you know, he wants to be around, but I also don't think he wants to be a distraction to the program as well. 
It certainly makes sense given where the program's at and the momentum that they've built the last couple of years. And as you mentioned, uh, offensive coordinator Brian Vincent is uh, going to be taking over the reins as head coach, at least in the interim. A lot of folks call it the elevator pitch. Some of the Gen Z kids call it the TLDR, too long, didn't read. Uh, what's the elevator pitch on Brian Vincent as far as his coaching style? Um, well, on a personal level, I really like Brian Vincent. Uh, he's a really good guy, one of those just really good guy uh, assistants that's in the college uh, football uh, kind of network there. So, um, you know, first of all, I'm uh, really proud of the guy for getting an opportunity, but I but also think he has a chance to succeed. Uh, you know, this is essentially a long interview for him. You know, they also uh, said they would uh, engage in a national coaching search at the end of the season, but given what Vincent can accomplish this year, you know, he would be, you know, part of that uh, – kind of that pool of candidates. So, uh, but, but I think he has the opportunity to be successful. This is a guy who spent, uh, you know, a number of years as a high school head coach in Alabama. He won uh, a state title in 2010 before jumping into the college ranks. Uh, you know, he started uh, off with Bill in 2014 as the offensive coordinator. And obviously when the, uh, when, when the program was shut down, he ended up going to South Alabama under Joey Jones and was there for three years before coming back to UAB. Uh, so, you know, so this is a guy with a lot of loyalty. He's got a lot of connections to the Alabama, uh, Alabama community, Alabama high school. So, you know, recruiting the state will, will be, you know, there won't be any drop off, uh, you know, with the staff and the relationships they have built. But I think Vincent will have a chance to really open up this offense a little bit more, uh, you know, with Bill Clark as the head coach, he might rely more on his defense, uh, on certain decisions, whereas uh, Vincent, you know, might be able to open up this offense a little bit more and be a little bit more creative, uh, you know, as being the one who making those decisions uh, in critical points of the game. Man, this is going to be an offensive focus CUSA this year and uh, in 2023 as well. It looks like with, uh, you know, the the coaching hires that have come up in the last six months or so um, with, you know, obviously grouping Sonny Cumbie into that and the way that Western Kentucky's played, et cetera. Evan, one, one last question here before I, I turn it over to Eric. Um, let's play devil's advocate and say that Brian Vincent is not the long-term guy. Who were some, maybe some early candidates that you want to maybe see be considered for, you know, this head coaching job other than of course, uh, coach Vincent. I think uh, one candidate that will probably come out uh, will be a local high school coach. Uh, I personally probably would not select him, but it would not be a bad idea. Mark Freeman uh, with, with Thompson, uh, who has one of the better high school programs in the country. Uh, obviously, he coached uh, Talia Tagalavoya, uh, Tua's little brother, uh, a number of five stars at that program. You know, I've covered a few of their games the past few years, you know, along with covering high school in this uh, in this state. And, I mean, it's a incredible program. Uh, so, I mean, and he's a very much more offensive, has been really good friends with Bill Clark. Uh, you know, this is a guy who also coached at Spanish Sport, uh, I believe after uh, Brian Benson actually left uh, to join the college ranks, Mark Freeman assumed the duties of head coach at Spanish Fort, where he won a couple of titles with Tyler Johnston as his quarterback in high school. So there's just so many connections into the South Alabama Spanish Fort. So I think Mark Freeman is a name that will pop up. Uh, from there, you'll start looking at other assistants uh, from probably some major programs who are looking to maybe get their first uh, their first job. At this point, I can't. I, I, Probably couldn't possibly come up with a name uh, off the top of my head unless it was someone you know more closely associated with the proto program. You could look at Joe Craddock at Troy. Uh, he was the Titans Titans coach. Uh, he was hired at as Troy as the head coach this past season. So you know he has a season to kind of you know 
maybe elevate the Troy program, maybe get a shot at UAB, which is very much uh, already kind of supplanted as a, uh, you know, a promising program where he might have to re- rebuild a little bit on uh, Troy. But there's also some other, uh, you know, options out there just as far as uh, other head coaches, uh, maybe on a Division two or FCS level. So it's going to be a very interesting uh, coaching search uh, once you get past uh, if Vincent is the guy or not, uh, you know, it'll be a very interesting coaching search because the last one they had was with Bill Clark. And, uh, you know, this is the guy who saw the, uh, the, uh, the opportunity that UAB had to become better than what it was. And he really took that and where no one else really believed it and made this a program that had not seen any kind of success really in the 20 years prior. It's a deep pool and an attractive job with that. Eric, I'll pass the baton to you. Yeah, Evan, you know, not too much uh, for me to add. I don't think Joe did a pretty uh, good job of covering all the major bases. Uh, just will ask this. Um, when you look at Bill Clark's salary, I believe it was somewhere in that $1.5, $1.6 million range, and the program transitioning to the American, just piggybacking off of Joe's last question about the coaching search. Again, not asking you to come up with you know, a, a list of names or, or not, but I guess I'm just wondering, from a budgetary aspect, if you go into the American, UAB probably has to be, you know, in terms of salary-wise, the top two, three, four gigs in, in terms of the American, in terms of, you know, maybe the budget to hire a coach. Does that provide an, an additional level of flexibility in terms of who they may be able to go after? Or do you just think um, if it's not Brian Vincent, you know, it, that search will kind of be limited to, as you mentioned, you know, maybe some local high school coaches and, and assistants in the FCS level? Hmm. I think when it's all said and done, uh, you know, just being into the American, uh, you're, you're looking at the, the budget increase in, in and of itself alone, uh, just with their TV deals. Uh, obviously, it's an annual $7 million. They won't get that to begin with, uh, but that will grow as they, uh, you know, continue into this conference. But just having additional money from the TV uh, as well as the conference in and of itself, that's going to create a, a bigger operating budget for UAB. Uh, and I believe with that, they should be able to, you know, attract a uh, – you know, a successful coach. You also look at their facilities. They have a, uh, uh, you know, a great uh, training facility. They have a great new stadium. Uh, they're entering their second year in. Uh, it's been all over TV this past spring with the USFL as well as the World Games in July. So, you know, they have a lot of things in this uh, for this program for that is attractive to a coach. And uh, the pay, I believe, will be able to increase just from the fact that their operating budget will increase as they head into the American Conference. But, uh, it's very interesting. I think, uh, you know, they'll be able to maybe push past uh, a pool of high school coaches and assistants and maybe actually, uh, you know, grab an up-and-coming uh, uh, coordinator or a uh, small-time head coach that, uh, you know, could be very successful with UAB. Evan, want to bring it back to Bryant and Vincent. And, you know, for regular listeners of the podcast, you know, Joe and I have had plenty of discussions about the UAB offense and how efficient it is in terms of the run game, but also it's a it's a passing offense that does like to push the ball downfield. You look at Brian Vincent's offense, his quarterbacks routinely are some between eight and nine. I believe Dylan Hopkins was at 9.9 yards per attempt last year, which is easily the tops in conference USA. Can you kind of just, you know, go a little bit deeper into maybe what type of offensive shift we may see if at all, or will this be an offense that you think just revolves around guys like Dwayne McBride? Well, I think with a guy like Dwayne Broad, you're going to have to kind of stick with a stick with a run. You're, you you can't you know take away carries from that guy. You can't give him less opportunities because he is a guy that can make a you know a great play at any moment. You know he's he can bounce off tackles. He can run through tackles. This is a guy who's just a he's a home run threat uh, waiting to happen almost 
every play. So, uh, you know, you, you got to center that offense around a great running back. Uh, you also have a great uh, offensive line that is used to running the ball, that powering down the field. Uh, so, I mean, that's something you got to keep. Uh, but also, I think, uh, you know, with Bill Clark, you know, he might have been a little bit more conservative on the offensive side. You look at their passing game as more of a boomer bust, not a lot of, uh, you know, middle passes, you know, kind of into the middle, uh, you know, kind of just uh, driving down the field a little bit is more just boomer bust on the passing game and then run the ball to kind of move the chains. But I think with Vincent, you'll see a little bit more expansion of the uh, the playbook as he takes over. You know, it'll be his decisions making on the field. So, you know, and, you know, on a third and five instead of, you know, maybe running and planning to punt and let your defense, you know, he might take a, you know, come up with a more creative passing to get a first down in that situation and keep a uh, a drive going rather than playing to your defensive uh, strengths, which uh, will obviously be a strength this season for them, uh, as it always is, their defense. But I think this offense will be able to expand a little bit. You saw some last year uh, with Rajay Johnson-Sanders before he transferred to Troy. Uh, he kind of became their kind of wide receiver screen uh, kind of option, and they started using that. Uh, he actually had a touchdown the first one in protective stadium against Liberty. Uh, unfortunately, it was called back for a uh, block in the back. Uh, but, you know, that was something they were starting to open up with last year. You look at the tight end game and how they've opened up their tight ends the past year, past couple of years. Uh, obviously, you lose two great ones, but they've got a lot of uh, a lot of bodies coming back, some talent in that position. So I think we'll just see the offense kind of grow a little bit and maybe be actually be a little bit more aggressive uh, uh, rather than playing to the strength of their defense. You know, if you have an offense that can be that aggressive along with your defense that can uh, uh, really just create chaos for your opponent, I think, uh, you know, they have a really great chance of becoming an even better team maybe uh, than what they have been. Two more for you. We'll get you out of here. I feel it'd be remiss if he didn't ask this question. Simply put, Evan, what do you think Bill Clark's legacy will be uh, at UAB and in Birmingham? Uh, I mean, I think, well, Speaking with him, I know he wants his legacy to be just, you know, the relationships he founded, uh, you know, the love for the city and the city able to, uh, you know, be able to show that back as well when the program was dismissed and building it back. But, I mean, I think his legacy is just, you know, he took a program that had been a doormat of Conference USA for 20 years since they were even a football program. Uh, you know, they had two bowl-eligible seasons, only went to one bowl in that time prior to Clark's arrival. Clark comes in, and I think – Maybe so much more uh, than just, you know, what he was able to do with the program, but it was his loyalty to the program. It gets dismissed, and he does not go anywhere. He doesn't search for a new job. He stays there, uh, you know, coordinates with the uh, fan base, you know, because they're very supportive of getting the program back. Six months later, it's reinstated, and he goes about rebuilding this program from scratch. So I think his legacy is going to be his loyalty to UAB, his loyalty to the city of Birmingham, something in which he has believed in for a long time, being a lifelong Alabama resident. It was always something he believed that UAB had the potential to be greater than what it was. And I think that will be his legacy was, you know, being loyal to the city in this program uh, when he didn't have to be and, you know, really bringing it into a, uh, into something that they have never experienced uh, before his time. Evan, you know, we, we can't let you get out of here without having a little bit of fun with you. So we're going to play a quick little rapid fire here for you and get you a couple questions before we get you out of here. Going to start with this. Will you? Nashville right. hot chicken or Texas barbecue? Oh man. Oh man. That's a tough one. Cause I mean, uh, I guess I'm going to have to go with Texas barbecue, but it has to be brisket. It can't be pork because pork barbecue in Texas is a travesty. 
you got to go with the brisket. Three athletes that you wish you could interview, dead or alive. Ooh, Derek Thomas, uh, Alabama linebacker, greatest linebacker ever. I mean, <laughs> Derek Thomas. Uh, ooh, uh, Greg Maddox, because uh, I'd want to talk about that just crazy stat of his with uh, 20-something thousand batters and only – like a hundred or so, uh, getting a three Oh count. I got to talk to him about that, about that. Uh, and then, uh, possibly, uh, Jesse Owens, cause he's from my home state. I ran a lot of Jesse Owens Memorial runs running up. And, uh, I still believe Jesse Owens is the greatest Olympian to ever live. Last one here for you, Evan, if, if the great Evan Dudley were not living in Alabama, where would he be living and why? Ooh, uh, I'd be living out in California, uh, riding comedy for Bill Lawrence. Nice. Okay. That's Clearly an answer, Creator of Ted an answer you've thought of it at some point in time, right? <laughs> oh, definitely. I am a Bill Lawrence disciple. I grew up on his shows. I love them. I mean, not just Ted Lasso, but Scrubs, Spin City. Uh, his humor is mine. And uh, if I wasn't riding sports, I'd definitely be out in California riding for Bill Lawrence. Yeah, I was going to say, I can see it for sure. All right. One more, one more question for you, Evan. We were talking about alternative bands on, uh, on Twitter the other day. And... <laughs> this this radio station in portland i got upset because they brand themselves as today's hottest alternative and they played an evanescent song from 2002 and not today's alternative uh if you want to say it's hot sure i guess i'm not going to hate on evanescence as a band or artist or whatever (laughs) and also i feel like when it once it gets included in a ben affleck movie the song bring me to life was of course in the daredevil movie it's not alternative mm-hmm. anymore it's extremely mainstream so i uh, first of all do you agree with that school of thought i would have to agree with that uh especially with our alter- alternative music if it becomes a uh it gets used in a movie it's technically no longer a alternative uh the one exception to prove that rule might be the captain marvel movie because i did use some alternative 90s music but it was more so for the uh, the movie itself, because it was based in the nineties, not so much to just, uh, to have a song in there. Cause I know they used a, a whole song. So the whole is still very alternative. So I'm not going to call them just cause they were used in a movie, but more often than not, I would have to agree with that train of thought. Fair enough. There it is, Eric. <laughs> Joe, <laughs> we've done this podcast together for now going on five years. That's the most leading question you've ever asked. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It wasn't about football. So I'm allowed. <laughs> Yeah. That's, well, I mean, I wouldn't even consider Evanescence alternative anyways. That was sort of the uh, edge of new metal, which unfortunately, new metal almost destroyed regular metal. I hate new metal. It was the worst thing ever. Corn, Limp Bizkit, well, not really corn, but more Limp Bizkit and all those other ones. Uh, but if we're talking alternative, like I said uh, in the tweet, you know, Big Head, Todd and the Monsters, R.E.M., uh, Live, you know, all those 90s bands that, uh, that we 40-year-olds just yearn to have in our lives once more. I saw the lead singer of live at a shopping mall in Dayton, Ohio, like five years ago. <laughs> oh, wow. I was in Dayton, Ohio about uh, seven years ago. I'm, I'm, I'm sad I didn't get to see him because uh, live was actually a really good band. Uh, Throwing Copper, I think, had about four or five singles on it. It is one of the uh, probably more successful alternative albums of the 90s, actually. You know, I think Ted Kowalczyk was sleeping in the uh, groundskeeper shed at this mall. If you go now, you could probably still catch him. oh man all right well joe Joe, really quick before before you close i'm just gonna say this just to uh just to provoke you i'm gonna personally go deep into the udd budget 
okay purchase the rights to a uh, butterfly by crazy town to make it the intro to this podcast just to annoy <laughs> No. <laughs> Just to Actually, I think you might have to uh, talk with Red Hot Chili Peppers, man, because the song is uh, was, uh, uh, a rip from them because it was a sample from a Red Hot Chili Peppers song. That, yeah, you know what? That is correct. And uh, I don't think uh, our budget is, rolls that deep. So uh, one next idea. Yeah. Uh, but I'll come with another one later, Joe. I, I know it's sort of like the uh, uh, the Tupac and uh, Dre uh, California Dreaming uh, or uh, yeah a song Mexican nineties. It's like a combination of three different songs. There's like the the da na 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 na. That's an old Joe Cocker song, and then the California uh, part is uh, from a an old seventies uh, kind of disco band. So uh, you know they they do a lot of these things with some of these songs where they can combine two or three different. It's pretty incredible. It's Probably why I locked a lot of uh, early '90s hip hop in the Cal- in, out of California. Yeah, sampling when done right is uh, they make some great stuff for sure. All right, so the uh, Blazer football program uh, got some uncharted territory really ahead of them in uh, their what's going to be their first season with no Bill Clark. Um, Eric, I, I feel pretty good about where Brian Vincent has. Uh, well, really about the tools that he has in front of him. They have a lot of offensive talent coming back. Um, you know, it seems like the the defense kind of already figured out they've been one of the better defenses in conference USA and Evan mentioned it's going to be you know a, a faster style of play and you know really moving forward um looking past you know Dylan Hopkins with a quarterback like Jacob Zeno in the wings I think it could really work out well for them yeah Joe I think it's going to be interesting and, and first off you know appreciate Evan for jumping on always appreciate him making the time to join us here on the pod hope you uh, you enjoyed the, uh, the interview with him. But uh, in terms of the future of the UAB program, I, I talked about this with some people who had some questions, you know, wrote the, the breaking news article when it came out. And I, I genuinely think that UAB is in good hands. Now, whether that is with, you know, Brian Vincent or as I kind of alluded to, Joe, I do think when you look at the salary of Bill Clark, $1.5 million, it's a, you know, among the tops in CUSA, and it's going to be amongst the tops in the American once the three schools who are leaving depart. I think UAB with the two two and a half million dollar range, they're going to have some opportunities to, you know, not just settle and and listen. Evans closer to the situation than we are, but I I don't think they'll necessarily be be limited to the FBS assistance range. But with that said, in terms of Bryant Vincent, I alluded to it. Joe, because we've spoken about it a lot on this podcast, he loves to push the ball downfield. I mean, you look at even Garrett Prince, a tight end, someone who averaged 20 yards a grab, you know, and that's clearly (laughs) very rare from, you know, your 6'5", 240-pound target, right, last year. Trey Trey Shropshire, of course, got to say that three times fast, uh, had 26 yards per catch. I believe he led the nation, if members are correct, and yards per catch, I believe Tyrese Chambers was second. uh, So two CSA guys coming in, one, two, and that regard i do think it's going to be interesting because the, the passing game was really boom or bust and as you alluded to maybe things will speed up move a little bit faster but i, I think it'd be interesting to keep an eye on on what i don't want to say spin but you know as a new coach comes in despite the fact that he, he was on that staff he's got to you know do it his way and impart his own input on the team and i'm sure that bill clark certainly is going to allow him the room to do that you know wouldn't i'm sure he wouldn't have it any other way and clearly those two guys are very close their relationship going back almost a decade now, but I do think it'll be interesting to see how, how that plays out. You know, again, talking about UAB, they've been known for defense 
and a strong run game. And I don't think that'll change with Dwayne McBride and Jermaine Brown Jr., you know, two people who combined for almost 2,000 yards. Of course, Dwayne McBride rushed for 1,373 yards last year. So definitely expect that run game to, to get things going. But as you mentioned, with the future of the program with Jacob Zeno, we certainly have talented quarterbacks in tow, and we'll see what happens. But all in all, and, and I, you know, I'm going to toss it back to you on this, just my speculation. I think this is going to be, they already are one of the top group of five programs in all of college football. Yes. And they're only ascending. You know, you have protective stadium, you have the, the practice facilities. So in my mind, Joe, I don't want to make a lazy comparison, but I look at a situation like a Gus Malzahn, you know, where he was dismissed at Auburn and he, he, he you know, kind of, you wouldn't think UCF would be the first choice, but then when you look at all the things that you factor into it, a rising group of five program in an area that's passionate about football. And certainly Birmingham is, and, and they've supported that program after, you know, uh, what happened with the program being disbanded mm-hmm. and all the facilities in tow. I I'm sorry. I mean, maybe I'm just optimistic, but I, I think they're going to have, you know, should, should the opportunity arise, I think they're going to have their run in a, at a few, you know, maybe a power five coach who, who is dismissed or a rising G five coach. I think they're going to have their pick. Yeah. It's definitely not a bad situation for UAB to be in. Absolutely. I, I understand where you're coming from on the UCF comparisons, and I don't think they're out of line. Um, if Brian Vincent does continue to be UAB's head coach past this year, it's there's a couple different layers of added challenge there, right? Because, not only are you going to have your predecessor still around and, you know, as Clark alluded to, he wants to be around the school and the community. Um, so having him kind of looking over your shoulder, that creates an added layer of pressure. And then also, I think it'd be different if you were in a position where as, you know, as a member of like UAB's team, if the, coach before Vincent had been fired and there were culture issues and like a change was needed. Right. Whereas Vincent's coming into a situation where you really have to think critically. All right. How much do you change? Because what was going on was clearly working. The, uh, you know, Bill Clark just had to step away for, you know, stuff that was, you know, to a degree beyond his control. So. Yeah, yeah, like, no, yeah. No, go ahead, go ahead, Joe. I'm sorry. No, I was, I was just gonna say that's like, I don't envy him being in this position in terms of trying to solidify himself as the guy, if that is in fact his goal. And then whoever takes the reins after the fact, regardless, they're going to have that added layer of pressure where it's a little bit different with like what UCF went through uh, to an extent. No, undoubtedly. I mean, that's 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 a very good point that, you know, with UCF, you're kind of getting the program without that. You know, you don't have that, uh, for lack of a better phrase, that father figure roaming. So I, I think that's a fair point. Um, did want to ask this really quick, Joe, you know, I know we got a, a couple odds and ends, you know, that we want to talk about non-football sure. odds and ends. But I did want to ask you this. Uh, just went ahead. You know, I, I felt it was perfect timing. As we're taping this, it is June 28th. It just dropped the first, uh, the first edition, I should say, um, and for in the in the series, our annual off-season preseason uh, position series, uh, position preview series in terms of Conference USA. And just want to get your thoughts on you know the quarterback position across the league. And you know, if we could bring our our listeners up to speed on that in case they haven't had a chance to check that out, please do. We appreciate the uh, the read there. But just what are your thoughts on 
how that one uh, laid out. And of course, you know, you'll be following up here in a few weeks with the offensive line and others, but just want to get your thoughts on the quarterback uh, ranking. Yeah, I, I know you had UTSA in great shape. Uh, couldn't agree more. Uh, I still really want Frank Harris's knee to hold up because I think he has clearly demonstrated that he has that clutch factor. He has the, you know, the arm. It's just a matter of staying healthy. Otherwise, I think he is like the quarterback that's the best fit for where his team is right now. Personally, I probably would have put Chris Reynolds in the the great shape category as well for Charlotte. I, I think Charlotte is far from a perfect team, but I don't think Chris Reynolds is the problem, if that makes sense. I, I think he has clearly shown that he is the guy, at least in terms of this year. I know he's got uh, just this last season eligible, but he's he's played so well over the course of his time with the 49ers, and I would have put him in that category personally. Everybody else, I, I feel pretty good about uh, Western Kentucky, you know, Jared Dagey, you know, a good placeholder before they start diving into all of those uh, those young guys in the quarterback room. Uh, I think Nikosi Perry is going to do fine um, if his offensive line plays well, which I think they will with their new pieces. Um, we talked about Dylan Hopkins and Jacob Zeno. I think they're I think they're fine. Gavin Hardison, uh, I think he's in a good spot. Um I think UTEP has some other things to figure out. Um, yeah, no, I think he did a pretty nice job. I I don't really have a lot of confidence in really anybody in North Texas's quarterback room personally. Um, Middle Tennessee, I don't know. I, I don't think the issue is that they're the guys in that quarterback room are bad. I think they're all pretty good. Uh, Chase Cunningham, Nick Vadiato, et cetera. It's just a matter of them staying healthy, which I think we've talked about. Um, if that happens, then maybe you can bump them up into the good shape as opposed to we'll see. Yeah, Gunnar Holmberg, no real way to know what he'll do. Um, Rice, there's not really a clear guy there. Although I will say I've heard a lot of good things about TJ McMahon. We'll see. Um, yeah, and then Louisiana Tech, no idea who's going to win that job. So uh, we'll see. But yeah, no, I, I feel like he did a pretty good job. I Right now, I do think the two guys that are clearly at the top of this league as far as quarterbacks are Chris Reynolds and Frank Harris. Appreciate that, sir. Uh, just, you know, quick follow up on that. It's, it's interesting. You know, the teams I had in the good shape and great shape, no real concern about that. I, I, I'm super interested in, I think, and I know you're a big fan of Sonny Cumbie. And of course that interview just was uh just dropped today so if you haven't had a chance to listen to that you know please get a chance to listen to that in addition to one we're listening to right now but i think sunny coming being a former quarterback and what he's going to try and bring from that texas tech offense or his version of the texas tech offense in addition to his time with gary patterson really interested to see what's going to happen because you got former tcu quarterback and matthew downing you know he spent time at georgia so it's tcu and then Parker McNeil was a very talented, you know, Juco player, but didn't get much time at Texas Tech. Also was at Troy. I think they have a chance to rise. I'm super, super fascinated by, you know, what may happen in middle Tennessee. As you mentioned, uh, it's a matter of both those guys staying healthy. Chase Cunningham obviously was banged up last year after getting off to that hot start. And then Nick Vadiato comes out of nowhere again. Nick is a kid who we've seen a lot of down here in South Florida. And, you know, I'm going to spare you, Joe, a 10-minute rant on the South Florida high school seven-on-seven circuit. But you don't have to be a football savant to know that South Florida produces a lot of talents. Quarterbacks aren't really usually among the bunch, right? So, you know, seeing Nick here, definitely thought he's a nice 
player definitely should you know, earn a college scholarship. But the fact that he came out and was able to have success instantly as a true freshman outside of that, you know, five interception debut definitely caught me by surprise. So we're looking to see how he builds on that. You mentioned the North Texas situation, still trying to replace Mason fine. Austin Ani has been pedestrian, certainly can get them to a bowl game, but I think it's really intriguing when you talk about Jace Bruder, who obviously was a four-star in his career at North Carolina, you know, Grant Gunnell, who was at Arizona and Memphis, JD head actually had some time and played well last year, you know, Louisiana tech. So that'll be interesting. Uh, I think the two that you gotta, you know, maybe look the most at in terms of we'll see are FIU and rice. It's crazy. When I was doing my research again, I was like, damn, Wiley Green is still at Rice. I, I actually covered Wiley Green's first start against FIU back in 2018. And that feels like a lifetime ago. I mean, that was the, you know, nine win Butch Davis led Panthers, which certainly feels like a lifetime ago. So I'll be interested to see what happens there with Wiley, who I know from talking to some people with Rice, they're pretty high on. And as you mentioned, TJ McMahon, even have Giovanni Johnson, who led the outset upset over Marshall couple years back so it should be interesting obviously luke mccaffrey makes a switch to wide receiver and then of course with the panthers as you mentioned gunner holmberg comes in still very much wait and see can't forget about hayden carlson and grayson james so definitely will be interesting whoever wins that job obviously has tyree chambers to throw the football too so all in all you know fun recap a uh, fun uh, preview to write next up will be the running backs uh but before we close up this episode you alluded to something in our conversation with evan and uh, yeah. you know regular listeners of this podcast know that you know, we're, we're gonna bounce around a little bit especially in the off season uh yes you would you like to provide your hot take again as far as you know the strong feelings on evan essence shouldn't have been in, in that alternative category and you know the neither today part i guess that's fair but i got thoughts on that but i'll let you start uh sure i mean i have talked about alt rock is probably like you know, kind of the blanket term for the type of music that I most enjoy, um, at least in terms of the stuff that can actually get played on the radio. And I don't know. I just think alt rock stations get lazy, um, especially there. There's one station in Portland who brands themselves as today's hottest alternative. And a lot of the songs are very, very old. And it's I don't know. It's a bummer because there's a lot of good alt like bands that I think fit under that umbrella of alternative rock that you could spend more time paying attention to. Um, but they play the song Bring Me to Life by Evanescence, which is not a bad song, but it's from 2002. And it's a, it's I, I wouldn't put it in the alternative category. It's a very mainstream song because of a it's been in however many like commercials. It, you know, it's all over like TikTok and stuff. It's yeah, it's it doesn't fit two of the three descriptors that this station uses to brand themselves so it's it's annoying to me as someone who appreciates this subgenre of music so it's funny joe the reason why i felt like i had to at least take this up with you um there is a radio station in here in south florida which i i don't want to you know explicitly name but they joe just to kind of give you um some background uh they initially as far as the fm signal they uh, are not initially but they were for a while um the fm home of a very prominent sports station here in South Florida, one that hosted, you know, Dan Lebetard and all of the the prominent South Florida radio personalities. And then just one day out of nowhere, uh, I think it was like 2015, 2016, they just brand themselves as the shark, 1043 the shark, and launched into with like 5,000. Oh, yeah, it was like 5,000 uh, songs in a row, commercial free, and they were marketed as, as alternative rock. 
So I'm just going to ask you this, and listen, okay. I'm going to defer to you here, you know, as as the resident expert. But yep. um, if I said to you, never made it as a wise man, couldn't cut it as a poor man stealing, w- w- would you consider that alternative rock? Today's alternative rock? No. <laughs> <laughs> would you um, would you consider uh, uh, Radioactive by Imagine Dragons alternative rock? Maybe 10 years ago when that song came out. Okay. All right. So we got a no and, and, a, and, a, and a half. Uh, that was what they led with the, the shark. Um, oh so yeah. again, I feel like that you're not wrong. I just feel like that is more of the uh, genre of alternative rock in that if I may take a hot take here, Joe, alternative rock as a genre, again, I am a lay person. I, I am mm-hmm. a casual. Is very much a 1998-2006 genre anyhow. I, you know, I think that thinking comes from the fact that radio stations don't want to move on from that era. And also, I think it's just like it's become a blanket term for music that like for just whatever. You know what I mean? Like this station after the Evanescent, this station in Portland that I'm talking about after the Evanescent song, they played alien ant farms cover of smooth criminal which i guess and then they played the uh astronaut in the ocean song by mast wolf which is not which is not, not anything yeah, yeah. yeah which is not any of those descriptors which is I, I think these stations just want chaos um i don't know i mean i don't know i think like like you just you just quoted a song from nickelback which is like i don't i don't i don't think they were even popular when they were getting radio play which is or maybe that, you know, they probably were, but my brain is just like repressing it. I don't know. The the last thing I'll say is in terms of the today tagline, I, I kind of feel like that, again, it's just a thing where it, it's so outdated. And I, I gave an example on Twitter when we we're having this discussion. There is a station in, in central Florida that marks themselves as today. You know, and they, they play the ad and the first song that comes after their the hits of the 80s or 70s, 80s. 90s and today, and like the 90s and today are merged into one, and it's Vanessa Williams' Save the Best for Last, which, uh, you know, I, I, I assume you're familiar with the song, Joe, correct? I am. Okay. So, so you know that uh, I think neither of us were born or we were just born when that song came out. So that is not today. <laughs> no. And also when it says the 80s, 90s, and today, you're talking about 40 years there. Like, that's such a big period of time like i don't understand how you can group all those categories together because music has changed so much (laughs) like you would like you if you played some of the music from today for a person who you know their the peak who you know in 1983 or whatever their brain would explode it's like the same it's like when you talk about like if you showed someone from like the 1700s a dishwasher like they would like jump off a cliff like they have it's like the same kind of thing you know what i mean like you can't even compare the two. So I don't know why they group all these things together. For listeners who came for information on Bill Clark, uh, we are giving you your permission to just go ahead and turn this off because <laughs> oh, we, I- we, lost, we lost a lot of people like 10 minutes ago. And you know what? It is what it is. We got the important stuff out of the way up front. It, it just I, I figured I'd give, the, give that disclaimer because you're not wrong, Joe. And it goes into the marketing of 70s, 80s, 90s and today. You've just skipped 20 years worth of tech. <laughs> if you're if you're lumping like right. if you like if, let's say you ended in 1999, 
you're lumping in 23 years worth of music as today. So maybe we're the ones who were wrong and that what they consider today is actually today. It's just not today. We could be wrong, Joe. All right. Well, I'm going to go do some things that are legal in Oregon and think about what you just said. But (laughs) (laughs) all right, we'll go ahead and wrap up for now. Uh, Thank you all so much to uh, everybody that listened, really. Um, And of course, thanks to Evan Dudley for joining us to talk about uh, UAB football. We'll, of course, have him back on soon enough to uh, discuss where the Blazer program is headed. Uh, if you want to follow him on Twitter, Dudley do write a L is where you can find him on Twitter. Uh, J O E H I O underscore is me. Eric C Henry underscore is Eric. And uh, of course at underdog dynasty for more G five football content every day. Uh, we'll be back very soon with more. Uh, go ahead and subscribe on iTunes if you haven't already. And we will talk to you soon. Happy football watching everybody. Happy football watching everybody.